Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Game Changing Technology and Sports, presented by SAP, the best run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the sports status quo with technology that changes how the games are played, managed, and enjoyed. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Yes, indeed. Bonnie in the house. Up at bat is technology. That gives you a little clue about what kind of sports we're going to be talking about today. Let me start with a buzz quote. This will give you an even better clue. This is from a gentleman named Eric Walker. We found this online. He said, until the third out, anything is possible. After it, nothing is. Now think, innings, bats, balls, field, home plate, Okay, third out. Now you know what we're talking about. So let's play ball with a new player, technology, baseball. That's what we're talking about today. Baseball is the only major sport where no clock rules the day. You all know there's a clock or there's a measurement for most sports. This is not true. So I've heard that baseball has the mathematical potential for one game to last forever. That's a long time to sit in the stands. How do the fans feel about what's happening with baseball? What does technology have to do with it? Let me give you a little background because we're going to be talking about, well, I'm from New York, so we're going to talk about a home team, the Yankees. Let me give you a little background in case you're from around the world, not from the New York area, not even from the U.S. Give you a little background on what the club is about. New York Yankees are an American professional baseball team based in the New York City borough of the Bronx. I grew up in Queens, another borough, so I know where that is. The Yankees compete in Major League Baseball known as MLB, as a member club of the American League East Division. So now we have some context. They are one of only two major league clubs based in New York City. The other is the Mets. We won't talk about those. The Yankee franchise began play in the 1901 season as the Baltimore Orioles. Nothing to do with the today Baltimore Orioles. In 1903, Frank, Frank Farrell and Bill Devery, bought the franchise after it stopped operating and moved it to New York City, renaming it the New York Highlanders. The Highlanders were officially renamed the Yankees in 1913. There's a little history that even I didn't know. So there you go. What are we talking about today? Well, the Yankees are harnessing technology to make sure that every in-stadium experience, if you're in the stands, you want to be excited. You want to follow the action. You want to know who's up at bat and who's in the dugout and who's on deck. I think I have all those terms right. And you want to follow the action. You might want to look at historical stats. So they want to fill the stadium for every pitch. And how do they do it? Magic word technology. So welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm Bonnie in the house on deck and coming out of the dugout to host this show. This is, if you're just tuning in, Game Changing Technology in Sports Radio presented by SAP. I have three panelists who are going to talk about this. We have one who actually works with the New York Yankees, and he's going to be our major speaker today, and we're going to get commentary around the table. So in a moment, you'll be hearing from Pete Britt, the New York Yankees, and we're joined also by Ryan Summers at SAP, the sponsor of this wonderful series. Thank you, Ryan, and Rob Carter also at SAP. Gentlemen, welcome. So, Pete Britt, would you please introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about what you do at the Yankees and what your perspective is on technology up at bat. Go ahead, Pete. Absolutely. Well, first off, thank you for having me on this great program. So uh, my name is Pete Britt. I'm uh, in charge of the business strategy and analytics team at the New York Yankees. I've been with the Yankees for a little over five years, and uh, this team is a newly formed team, and we kind of act as the data hub for the business side of the New York Yankees. 
Uh, we focus on increasing fan engagement and driving revenue through data-driven insights, and SAP has been a great partner in that regard. Um, and we also provide analytic support to all business departments. And, um, you know, we view technology as uh, a huge asset for us, specifically with SAP, um, and allowing us to connect with all of our fans on a game-by-game basis and a fan-by-fan level. Thank you very much. Nice to meet you, Pete. We're very honored that you've joined us today. And now let's move one seat around the table to Ryan Summers at SAP. Ryan, welcome to your own series again. Always very happy to have you on board. Ryan, why don't you tell everybody what you've been up to, what you're doing, and and, uh, why you put together this particular topic for us today. Sure, and it's great to be back. Uh, Working behind the scenes is great to build these, but I love to be able to come on and talk as well. So thanks again for having me. Um, for those that may or may not remember, I work on the sponsorships team here at SAP for about 12 years. Uh, we've got a whole global portfolio, which you've hopefully listened to in previous sessions, and we've got some you know, other great ones that are coming up as well. Uh, one thing I didn't talk about last time I introduced myself is that I'm also a member of the U.S. Air Force on a reserve mm. basis, and uh, I've been in that role for about 19 years, and I started as you know a a lowly E1, and now I'm a captain working in Intel, um, making sure that you know pilots are flying safely and know um, what threats are out there and, and also what kind of mission they've been tasked with. So I wear a couple different hats, but um, today I'm happy to be wearing the SAP hat. <laughs> thank you very much, Ryan, and I'm going to say thank you for your service and your contributions. Very appreciated, and I'm glad you brought that up. It's important to know who we know, and what you all do. So I appreciate that. And now let's go to our newcomer, uh, other newcomer in addition to Pete Brett. We have Rob Carter at SAP. Rob, please introduce yourself. Hi, uh, my name is Rob Carter. I'm a customer engagement executive with SAP. Um, And that basically means that once a customer has software, I'm here to make sure that it's uh, or sorry, a solution. I'm here to make sure that it's implemented and achieving the, the business results um, that the people or customers have been expecting. For example, I've been working with uh, the New York Yankees since day one in this project, and I'm very excited to be here as well. And Bonnie, I just want to echo your sentiments as well. Ryan, uh, really appreciate your service, um, especially as I have a family member in the armed forces in the UK as well. So it's, it's a great that uh, you know we, we have to you uh, and people like you that, that serve their countries. We're all on the same Thank team. Thank you, Barrett. <laughs> Yep, we all are. Thank you very much, Rob. Kind words. So, Pete Brett, we're going to start out with you. And those of you new to the series, new to Game Changers, and we do have over a million listeners all over the world last year in 2018. Can't wait to see the stats for this year, 2019. But listening to our shows that are live as well as on demand. So we know you're hungry for a good conversation about business content. Um, So I wanted to say, Pete, uh, you're the first one up. And I asked my guest to send me a quote that has really nothing specific specific to do with the topic, a quote from a movie, a book, a song, a famous person. We've got some good ones here today. And I asked them then on the air now to explain how they chose the quote and what it has to do with the topic. So Pete Bread has sent us a quote from Aerosmith from the song Dream On. And Pete, I told you when we met on our prep call last week, this is near and dear to me because I started playing the drums just one year ago. And my I have two drum teachers in two different places. One is for playing along with tracks and learning all the patterns. The other one is more theory and exercises uh, in terms of the basics of drumming. And 
Aerosmith Dream On was the first song that I was asked to learn from my teacher who works for a school where they they teach hard rock. So Dream On is a favorite song of mine. Aerosmith, American rock band formed in Boston, Massachusetts in 1970. The group consists of Steven Tyler, Joe Perry, Tom Hamilton, Joey Craner, and Brad Kramer and Brad Whitford. Their style, rooted in blues-based hard rock, has come to incorporate elements of pop rock, heavy metal, rhythm and blues, and has inspired many subsequent rock artists. They're referred to as the Bad Boys from Boston and America's greatest rock and roll band, and that's why I love this song. Here's the quote. You've got to lose to know how to win. Pete Britt, tell me, how'd you find this one? I love the quote. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to forget that they were formed in Boston. You know, working for the Yankees, Boston <laughs> sometimes isn't a term that we like to bring up a lot. But We forgive um, you. You know, growing- <laughs> Growing up, I loved sports videos, highlights, montages. Um, you know, as a kid, I, I probably watched a lot more of that than Disney movies. Um, and none of them were better than my personal favorite, which was uh, ESPN's Images of the Century, which was a compilation of the best sports highlights of the 20th century. Um, they debuted it right before Y2K, and it was set to Dream On by Aerosmith. Um, I still get goosebumps thinking about that video. It's one that I just loved growing up. Um, And listening to the song, you know, the quote, you've got to lose to know how to win. um, I've always loved that quote from the first time I heard it in that montage. And it strikes the chord both personally and professionally. So personally, uh, to me, it's just a reminder that there's always a lesson to be learned uh, from every defeat, whether it's a job, an interview rejection, a personal setback. Um, If you don't have those and learn from them, it's a lot more difficult to define success and then eventually succeed. Um, and then professionally, you know, I started with the Yankees. It's the most storied uh, professional franchise in sports, but I started in 2014. Um, and that year we missed the playoffs. Uh, the next Aww. year, flash forward to 2015, we lost in the wild card game, which was a one and done playoff game. Um, we lost to Houston in 2015. And then in 2016, we didn't make the playoffs again. Now in all those years, um, they weren't necessarily losing seasons, but you learn a lot about what fans really want, obviously besides mm-hmm. winning, in years when the team has a bit of a downturn. Um, so you can learn a lot about um, you know, losing and winning in those years when you lose. So do fans just want a winning team? Do they want different things in the ballpark that you can provide for them? Um, so you know, having those, again, not losing seasons, but seasons that are below uh, maybe what we expected, you can learn really how to win from a business perspective with fans. Thank you very much. I'm I'm so glad you picked the Aerosmith song because I just love playing it. Do you mind, uh, Pete, just for a second, if I read the lyrics that lead up to that line from Dream On? Is that Absolutely. all right with you? Okay, here are the lyrics from Dream On by Aerosmith. I I wish I could run in the other room and put the track on and play the drums over it, but that's not what we do here. Every time when I look in the mirror, all these lines on my face get clearer. The past is gone. It went by like dusk to dawn. Isn't that the way everybody's got the dues in life to pay? I know nobody knows where it comes and where it goes. I know it's everybody's sin. you got to lose to know how to win. Leave it there. Okay? We good? Absolutely. Good. Thank you. Let's move on to Ryan Summers. He sent us a quote from, oh, big surprise, Babe Ruth, German, George 
Herman, Babe Ruth Jr., 19, let's see, he was born in 1895. He passed away in 1948, a year I know very well. He was an American professional baseball player whose career in Major League Baseball spanned 22 seasons from 1914 through 1935. He was nicknamed the Bambino and the Sultan of Swat. He started as a star left-handed pitcher for the, I'm not going to say which city, but it was called the Red Sox, (laughs) but achieved his greatest fame as a slugging outfielder for... The New York Yankees. We'll leave that. You want to know all the stats? In 1936, he was elected into the Baseball Hall of Fame as one of its first five inaugural members. Who doesn't know Babe Ruth? Even has a candy bar named after him. Here's the the quote. Ryan, I had to research this one. It was a little different than what you sent me. It's a little longer, but here's the quote I found. Never let the fear of striking out get in your way. Ryan Summers, how'd you pick this one? Yeah, I thought I'd be super cliche and go with uh, one of the all-time great Yankees for this one. Um, but this one hits home for me. You know, I, I, yeah, I trimmed it. I, I, I just say never strike out looking. Um, and to me, it's about not being afraid to go out of your comfort zone and taking some chances. Like, I, I definitely consider myself a major risk taker. Uh, sometimes I'm amazed that I'm still alive. <laughs> but oh, dear. But it's about, you know, <laughs> I mean, you only get one life, right? You gotta, you gotta live it. Um, that's what we're told, but anyway. About, <laughs> that's what we're told. You know, we, we want to keep it a long life, but um, you know, I try to never have any regrets. And you know, if I have one or two, they usually come from inactions rather than my actions. So for me, when I'm in doubt, I'm going to swing that bat of life. Um, you know, I, I feel like even if I you know, even if I miss, if I swing and miss, I'm still going to learn something from it. But if you just kind of watch life go by, you can never get that back. And that's my biggest pet peeve in life is wasted time. So for me, it's about, you know, putting it in action, going for it, and, and not letting it, opportunities miss you. I like that. Once it's gone, it's gone. Thank you. Great quote from Babe Ruth. Appreciate that. Interesting Babe. It's just something we wouldn't expect from a guy who plays baseball the way he did. And yet, I don't know, people say, hey, Babe, I guess it didn't matter who you called Babe back in the day. But certainly, do you do you like the Babe Ruth candy bar, by the way, Ryan? You ever had one? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't put it in my top five, but, uh, you know, come Halloween, there's always a, a couple that sneak into my, uh, in my belly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and it's only a few weeks away. What can I say? Rob <laughs> Carter has sent us a quote from the one, the only Lady Gaga. I just marvel at her picking that name and that people just call her Gaga. I, I just can't believe that. Stephanie Joanne Angelina Germanata. Born March 28, 1986, very young. Known professionally as Lady Gaga, American singer, songwriter, actress, known for her unconventional unconventionality, provocative work, and what they're politely calling visual experimentation. She started performing as a teenager, singing at open mic nights and acting in school plays, and blah, 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 here she is, and uh, she rose to prominence in 2008 with her debut album, the electro-pop record The Fame, and its chart toss topping singles, Just Dance, and Poker Face. I actually downloaded those because I thought Poker Face was really, really cool. Here's the quote, Rob. I looked it up, and it was a little bit different, the one I found, so bear with me here. But it says, she says, there can be 100 people in the room, and 99 don't believe in you, but all it takes is one who does. And, Rob, there's a big dispute on social media about whether Lady Gaga originated that or a Madonna because Madonna had a similar quote about a year earlier that started with there could be 100 people in the room and everybody thinks that Lady Gaga took it, but it's different. So there you go. So Rob, tell us what this quote means to our topic today, please. 
Wow, controversy from the get-go. Um, I think that's uh, <laughs> what you wanted, but maybe in a different, maybe in a different sphere. So, so this quote actually came um, from Lady Gaga after um, A Star is, is Born. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was actually made into a meme because she kept repeating it. And I think it was in reference to Bradley Cooper that said, you know, go on, you can act, go for it. And I think it kind of, you know, mirrors and echoes uh, maybe Ryan's quote, you know, about, you know, you're going to get a lot of no's and eventually there's going to be one person that says go for it and you're going to stop and you're going to think and go, well, let's regret the things I do, not the, the things I don't. And I think this is relevant to sort of, you know, my life and my professional career. I started out washing dishes and then they said, okay, we need you behind the line. We, you can do this. And then it evolved on and eventually I ran a pastry section. Um, and then I, I jumped into the, the software sales world and there was one person, David Rackerson, who, who said, you've got the charisma, you've got the hard, hard work ethic, you just need to refine some of your skills and you can apply them. And he was the one mm. person in the room. And then eventually I, I came into sales at SAP and I was thinking, I, I can't do this. And it wasn't until my mentor, you know, Rick Jones, turned around to me and said, you've got the knowledge, just believe in yourself. But it always comes down to the, the one person that, that has the faith in you and it's about repaying it. And, and this just brings so relevant uh, if, you know, you doubt yourself, you know, you've really just got to go for it. Swing for the fences, another cliched baseball analogy. And that's why this resonates with me. It's about, you know, finding that one person. And, and why is that one person not yourself? Just going for it. And I think, again, this goes back to Pete's story. Pete actually started out in finance and he moved from finance to analytics. So again, somebody in the room believed in him. And I think we, we could all resonate with this quote and, and whether it was Madonna or Lady Gaga, um, we could all <laughs> resonate with this quote. Um, and, and I think it's about going back to Ryan, you've got one life to live. Let's just go for it. Find that voice, even if it's not yourself. And then let's take on the challenge. Thank you, Rob. Very thoughtful. And what I'm going to ask you to do is stretch a little bit and take this into the perspective of the Yankees, perhaps taking on new technology, saying we want to expand and grow and enhance and enrich the fan experience. And maybe there were 100 people in the room who said, or 99 people in the room who said, nah, we're just fine. It's baseball. Baseball, motherhood and apple pie. That used to be an expression when I was growing up. And somebody said, wait a minute, technology, stats, internet, fan experience. Let's change the game. Let's put, as I opened up with technology at bat. Do you think this applies as well? That one person in the room, and and Pete can comment on this after Rob does. Where did it start that they were going to, quote unquote, modernize the experience? So Rob, any thoughts on that? Absolutely. Having worked with not only Pete, but the wider Yankees team, they have a very lean analytics team and their brains are just phenomenal. They can analyze data. They can look at various data points and it's almost a gut feel um, and it's the way they work. And then they said, okay, we're getting more and more data. It's becoming more and more complex to process this data. We cannot do it with the, the four or five you know, guys in the room. We need to look at look at this and how do we work smarter in order to be able to take these insights and, and then put them into action for the benefit of the fans. And sitting there the first meeting, it was mind-blowing to know there's 37 different types of ticket sale. Mm-hmm. There's about, I think there was something like 
a hundred different data points that could be matched, mismatched across there. And they said, you know, between us, we just cannot do this anymore. We need to bring in some technology to help us and really just back up their assumptions or, or disprove their assumptions. And I think that's a very, very bold move to, you know, look in the mirror and say, okay, are we right? Are we wrong? How do we prove this? And, and really the, the leveraging of technology was the only way they could do it. And they recognized it. And I think they're the first team within within the MLB that have actually said, okay, we are going to do this. And it's about the, it's about the benefit of the fans and, and almost putting their egos to one side but to really give the fans that experience. Thank you, Rob. Pete, you want to comment on that? The thought of, of when did the Yankees, obviously from the history I read, Pete, did they go back decades, a century actually, more than a century. So the thought is when did technology start to look appealing to the Yankees? Was it because other sports were doing it? Was it because somebody brought their their uh, smartphone to work one day and said, hey, wouldn't it be really cool to get all these stats on my phone? How did it come? Yeah, no, I'd absolutely love to comment. I mean, it's it's interesting. We have such um, a great history as an organization. You know, with 27 World Series titles and most of any team, um, there's a tendency, or there could be, you know, an innate tendency to almost rest on your laurels, right, and say, you know, mm-hmm. we're a great team. We have a great product. We don't need to really invest much in technology and um, really figure out exactly what the fan experience is like because, you know, the fans love us and they want to come to our games. But I think it starts at the top. Um, we have a great leadership team here who understood, you know, a long time ago that um, we can't just be content uh, with where we are. We need to really understand, even if we're doing great and we win the World Series, there's always something that can be refined, made better from a fan's perspective. And, you know, how do we get that information? Well, we, you know, implement technology to get, you know, vast amounts of surveys out to our fans, either post-attendance or post-purchase, figure out what are the hidden uh, little keys that take a fan from just a single-game ticket buyer to a season ticket buyer or from a season ticket buyer to a renewed season ticket buyer. Um, So I think it really came from the leadership at the top that said, you know, we have access to all this data. We need to make sure we're using it even when we're doing great as a team to make sure that our fans are always happy so they stick with us even maybe in the down years. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Good perspective. I want to go around the table now and get to know our panelists just a little bit better. Gentlemen, let's start with you. Pete Britt, where in the world are you today? We'd love to know a city or a hemisphere or a region or a lake or something. And then we want to know what's your favorite drink that powers you to do your job. Then we'll ask Ryan Summers, same thing, and then Rob Carter. So where are you calling from and what's your favorite drink, Pete Britt? So I'm calling from the Bronx in New York, the home of the New York Yankees. Um, now, as far as my favorite drink, I wouldn't say it necessarily powers me to do my job, um, but uh, I'm a big whiskey drinker, and my favorite uh, specifically is Blanton's bourbon. Um, it's uh, either served straight up or with a large ice cube, um, usually in the comfort of my own home, maybe watching a Yankees game, maybe watching another sporting event. Um, it's been described as liquid gold. And I can attest that um, it sure tastes like liquid gold. There you go. Who doesn't want to drink liquid gold? Thank you. Ryan Summers, where art thou and what do you love to drink these days? I'm sure there's a whole selection. (laughs) That's right. I am calling from the lovely Newtown Square office of SAP, which is the home of uh, the American headquarters. 
And interestingly enough, I had a tough time trying to find a conference room today, so I snuck into Michelle Cooper's office, and she's the SVP of North America Marketing. So, uh, Michelle, if you're listening, I promise I won't leave a mess. <laughs> um, and in terms of my drink, yeah, I like whiskey too. I actually had a great margarita uh, a few days ago, but I'm going to go on the healthier side today and say uh, green juice. And we have like one of those cold-pressed juicers, so we make it ourselves. And I don't put any any like yummy, tasty stuff in it. I go hardcore, so we're talking like Swiss chard, fresh ginger, turmeric, kale, um, bok choy, rhubarb, you name it. There's like 15 ingredients in there. Uh, you just get used to it. You just suck it up and you get it down and you're energized. And um, what's funny is my kids, uh, this is kind of an easy way for me to get them their veggies in time. And I, I basically bribe them. And I say, if you guys want some time on the PlayStation or the iPad, you got to have you know, a shot of this green juice to, to check that box. Um, so we always have a, a nice, fun battle, but uh, in the end, Daddy always wins, and, and they get their juice. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Rob Carter, love to know where you are today, and what's your favorite drink? You're in the food business. you have any, any concoctions that are original that you made yourself that have a name on them? I'm open to suggestions. Wow. So let's start. I'm in <laughs> Hudson Yards in, in New York. Okay. Um, Bonnie, if you'd have asked me this seven days ago, the answer would have been uh, Kathmandu uh, in Nepal. I've, I've just got back oh. from, from that travel experience. Yes, um, it's been a wild week. As far as my, what, what's in my coffee cup right now? Um, it's actually uh, Nespresso. Huge fan of, of dairies, and I've just discovered uh, that if you try one from Cuba, it's very different if you try one from India. So it's mm-hmm. kind of, now I've become an unofficial coffee snob. Now, as soon as we've got the topic of alcoholic uh, beverages or cordials, I'm a huge fan of tequila all of a sudden. Uh, again, like peach straight up or, or maybe over a, a, an ice cube. And I'm mm. just discovering the, the nuances between a reposado, a blanco, a gold. So I'm r- really enjoying that at the moment. And if you want my perspective on some drinks, yes. uh, more of the cocktail type of thing, um, I do like an aviation it's more of an old-fashioned type of gin, or, or you can use vodka, slightly sour, um, with, with some unusual twists. And then if you want to go really out there, um, there's a drink that I, I've had at a, one of those craft cocktail bars, and they mix a chambord and they freeze it with some sort Ooh. of whatever it is. And then on top of that, they pour um, absinthe. And then on top of that, there's a sparkling wine or champagne. So you get the separations, and then obviously as the alcohol melts in and the, and the champagne sits together, it forms this three-tiered drink that has a lot of subtleties and nuance. Don't know if there's name of it, um, but it's again, it's very, very different. Well, I'm, I looked up the aviation. Ryan Summers, no, I have all this. I have all this information at the top of my head. I don't have to Google anything, right, Ryan? I just come up with it. So, from memory, Rob, if you buy this, I have a nice bridge to sell you. From memory, I'll tell you. Oh, let's see now. The aviation. 
Oh, it's a classic cocktail. Hmm, let me see. Oh, it's got gin, maraschino liqueur, creme de violette or creme yvette, and lemon juice, and sometimes some recipes. Oh, let's see. They omit the creme de violette served straight up in a cocktail glass. I will tell you that from memory, Rob, it's a beautiful purple lilac color, and it's absolutely gorgeous to look at. And I see pictures in my mind of an olive, a dark black olive on a beautiful metal uh, spear going across the top of this lovely glass. And sometimes a little lemon. Do you buy that, Rob, that I know this all by heart? Seriously? I mean, Google's very powerful, so I think with Google, do we actually have to remember anything now? Um, Thank however, you very Bonnie, much. Um, Thank you, dear. I think you're very, you're very trustworthy, so I, I believe everything <laughs> you say 100%. <laughs> Ryan, I knew I liked him. Thank you very much. So, gentlemen, I'm here in my home office in Durham, North Carolina. We stopped with 101 degrees every day, and now we're up to about 89 degrees every day. It's so cool and pleasant. It's so hot out that my gardener, my landscaper, won't even come back to bring me more plants because he says the fall plants he wants to put in the front garden wouldn't survive in all this heat. So, duh, waiting for a cool day. Um, I am not allowed to drink caffeine on radio show days, and it's 1230 one here p.m. on the east coast of, of uh, by the way uh, Pete and Rob and Ryan I am a New Yorker born and bred and I lived on Long Island in Great Neck on the North Shore for 32 years until I moved here two years ago but anyway I'm only allowed to drink water on radio show days because Tuesday I have two live shows one hour apart and you're my second show so I think you know Rob Carter why they won't let me near caffeine and we'll just leave that one alone so I think we're going to take a very short break if you're just tuning in we're having a lot of fun getting to know our panelists we have two gentlemen from SAP Ryan Summers and Rob Carter, and we're also very happy to welcome Pete Britt at the New York Yankees. We're talking about technology and the fan experience in baseball. That's right. Age-old game and what's happening to modernize it and bring it up to date and keep those fans coming. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back in 90 seconds. Count them along with us. Aaron out. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network game-changing technology and sports brings you stories about how technology is the new mvp like the floating sensors on buoys to provide wind and tidal info for sailors, game apps for coaches to make decisions in an instant, and once-in-a-lifetime fan experiences that amaze on site and on mobile devices. Technology is redefining how sports are watched, played, and managed. We'll dive into it all, from the field of play to the back offices, to learn what's new and what's next in the world of game-changing technology and sports. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Game Changing Technology and Sports, presented by SAP. You're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Game Changing Technology and Sports. Here we are. We're back. We're talking today with Pete Britt at the New York Yankees and Ryan Summers. He spells his last name S-O-M-E-R-S if you're looking for him online. And Rob Carter also at SAP talking about the Yankees. Batter up. 
New York Yankees plus data equals fans never miss a pitch. What's the role of technology in all of this? We're going to kick off our formal roundtable segment right now with some comments Pete Britt sent me before the show, and he wants to talk about the marriage of X and O data. Uh, how do customers experience a Yankees game? What do they like? What do they dislike? What do they want to see better? And he says, we've always had a pretty good grasp on our O data, our ticket sales, concession sales, etc. Now we can marry the two. But what if there are different insights that tell opposite stories? Pete, can you break this down, uh, unpack it, as they say on the news, and tell us where the X data is, what is it, where does it come from, what the O data is, and what does happen if you get different data points that poke at each other? What happens next? Go ahead, Pete. Yeah, absolutely. So um, on the X data side, um, we employ Qualtrics to send out a bunch of different surveys. We do a post-attendance survey for people attending our games, a post-purchase survey for people buying tickets. We do a separate survey for all of our season ticket holders, a very comprehensive survey. We do some for tourists, international buyers. So we really use the full suite um, of tools. Um, and what we really want to find out is, you know, how can, at a very high level, how can we make the experience better for fans? What can the in-stadium experience be that makes a fan want to come back time and time again? Um, how can the purchase process be better for fans? And we've got some great data from that and some great insights. And, you know, one that really comes to mind is, you know, about two years ago, we got some feedback from season ticket holders that um, during the school year, so early in the season and late in the season, our, our season spans the summer, so in, you know, April and September, um, wouldn't it be nice if we could start our weekday games a little earlier? You know, maybe get some younger fans that are able to come to the games, um, you know, let families access our games a little easier. Um, and we thought that's great. You know, we get these great insights from our survey. Um, and then when you marry that with our O data, our operational data, which, you know, is ticket sales, concession sales, um, all kind of in-stadium purchases, you know, the story was a little different in that, you know, it seemed that not as many people were coming to our 630 games versus our seven games. Um, and why was that, right? Why, you know, what was the reason why our fans were telling us one thing on paper, you know, through our surveys, Mm-hmm. But with their actual behavior, they were doing something differently. So I, I don't think we'd ever, you know, flashed back maybe five years ago, we would never be able to marry those two data points together. And now the question becomes, you know, what do we do next? Um, do we only listen to our survey data? Do we only follow our operational data? Um, and kind of where does the right balance lie? And so, um, you know, the next step for us is to really segment all those data points and see, exactly what fans are telling us that they want the 630 fans. Now that we can get the survey data down to the very account level and marry some of that account by account level with their exact purchase behavior, you know, are they doing what they're saying? Are they saying that they want the 630 games and actually coming to 630 games? Are they just saying that, but then not coming to the 630 games? So um, we're at a point now where we can really get detailed with all of our data. Um, It's been fantastic. And, um, it's really informed a lot of great discussions with upper management. And, um, you know, as you can see by looking at our schedule, um, we now have some 630 games. It's not across the whole schedule, but um, we've employed it. And um, it's been great for the team and for fans. Very interesting. Very interesting. Is this something that's upsetting people? Shall I use the term in the home office or in the business office, Peter? They're saying, wait a minute, 
where do we favor it? What what are we really looking at? Is this new these new sources of data a confusion point or is this a eureka moment for the Yankees? Just wondering. And then I'll bring in Ryan and Rob to comment. But what's your perspective on the the people side of this revelation? No, I think it's definitely more of a eureka moment. Um, you know, I think I think a lot of people in our organization had kind of their gut instinct on you know. They're telling us we want to do 6:30 games. It's great, makes sense. We want, you know, families will come to the games. That's great. Um, but and we could have just left it there and said, okay, well, this is great. We're doing great by our fans. Um, but now that we can say, hey, are more families actually coming to 6:30 games, or are we just saying that? I think it's, it hasn't been confusing. It's been more of a, you know, let's let's play this problem out or play the situation out a few steps farther than we ever could. Um, mm-hmm. And for that, I think our, our upper management has been you know, eternally grateful that we can even get that far with our data. Thank you very much. Good perspective. Ryan Summers, comment, please. XO, data, who's in love with the X and the O? Where should the Yankees be looking? What's your thought? So I'm going to take it a different angle with the XO data. I know that um, there's going to be a lot more chatter on the Yankees, but this was an interesting result of some social feedback that we got from previous sessions, and fans really want to hear a lot of these different stories. So if I can quickly just share a few other examples that mm-hmm. will help conceptualize what Pete's talking about, I would also reference uh, the Utah Jazz, in which I had a conference mm-hmm. with them uh, just recently, and they're kind of in the same, in the same um, you know, understanding phase right now. And and the operational data was always strong for them. The experiential data is fairly new. Uh, so they knew during games their fan shops were very popular. They sold a ton of merchandise. They always hit their numbers. Uh, everything was great. And once they started analyzing that experience data, what they learned was fans weren't happy. And they weren't happy because they were diehard fans. They really wanted to buy that new jersey or whatever the, the swag was but the lines were too long and it was causing them to miss the games. So they were sacrificing their experience because they wanted the merchandise. And once they were able to combine the X and the O data, they were able to find out creative ways where they can help make that experience stronger, like creating an app and having a delivery service in-game when you're at your seats. So you can just buy online and someone will bring you uh, whatever merchandise you're looking for. So I, I think it's, it's just one of those things where I don't necessarily think that the Jazz, you know, affected their bottom line per se, but they really, um, you know, had the respect to give the fans the best possible experience, much like the Yankees are as well. Uh, so it's, it's, it's almost like a new age for us here at SAP and trying to figure out continuous ways to, you know, push the, push the envelope and, and think outside of the box and really focus on that experience data. It's interesting to see what's coming next. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Rob Carter, please join us. Thoughts on X data, O data, which is the right way for Yankees to look at where the money's spent, who prefers to arrive at what time, the fan experience, weekday games. Very interesting topic. Rob Carter, what are your thoughts, please? Uh, I, de- I definitely think that the O data is important. Um, X data, we could argue whether it's more or less important. However, when it comes to the, the fan and delivering the experience, if you could get inside the brain of every fan and deliver the experience in the moment, mm-hmm. of, of course you're going to get better fan engagement. So I think, you know, as Pete was saying, you need to look at both of them. You can't separate them. And you actually need to work out, okay, what's going on? I think the brave thing for the Yankees and what they did, they actually looked at this, you know, the, the 
X data, and they said, okay, well, our, our fans are asking for this. Let's deliver it to them. And then to, to back up the point of how do we see if the sentiment um, and then the operational data match up, we can then say, okay, so let's try moving the games earlier, the 6.30 game. Are we actually getting the fans or the results we expect from this? And they've taken you know, the KPIs or they've taken the business metrics and said, does this match up with what our fans are telling us? And it sounds like potentially they might. Um, but I think you know, the important thing to take away from this is, one, the Yankees, they're listening and they're actually going to do something about it. And it comes down to you can have the most fantastic data in the world, but if you're not doing anything with it, or if you've not got a presentable way of looking at the data, you're never going to be able to deliver that fan experience. So I think, you know, the, the X data is important. Let's get inside the fans' head. Let's deliver them what they're asking for. But let's also test and measure it against the O data. So I really think that the two are, you know, combined together. And if you can get them, combine them, and actually do something with them, as well as, you know, test the hypothesis, I think it's very, very powerful. Um, and it's going to be seen more and more in, in, in not only sports, but across other verticals. Um, and in this instance, I think the Yankees have first mover advantage and it just speaks to the, the, the bold move that they want to do in delivering the experience. Thank you very much, and, Rob. Very interesting. Yeah, go ahead. You're still talking, please. Sorry. Yeah, I was just going to add one more thing um, or a couple of things on some of our, you know, X data. And, and to Rob's point, uh, you know, we, a lot of what we look at is, you know, what are the fans asking for? And then how can we deliver what they're asking for? And, you know, from our surveys, and this is now going back two to three years, you know, two things really stuck out a lot from the fan surveys. And, and that was, you know, they were clamoring for more social spaces. They loved the social aspect of coming to a Yankees game. Um, we just didn't have a lot of big gathering places for fans to congregate in. Um, so what we did was we invested heavily in creating these kind of large um, areas where fans can congregate. There aren't seats, but standing room only areas where fans can congregate, be social, and still enjoy the game. And we continue to invest in uh, developing more of those areas. And another thing, and this goes back to the 6.30 start time, um, in addition to that was that you know, fans wanted to feel like it was a more family-friendly environment. Not that it wasn't, but they're always, you know, families are always searching for more things that the kids can do at the game. And, and so what we did was we created a, you know, a kids and family area um, in our stadium that, that kids can run around a mini field, they can throw wiffle balls and do all these little things in addition to just enjoying a baseball game. Um, and these are things if you go back five, ten years, we would never even dream of doing. But now that we have these insights from our fans, um, we can really take what they're asking and act on it pretty pretty swiftly. Thank you very much, Pete. Very interesting. And I was going to look at your second statement you sent me, but I think we've already covered it. But just let me read the formal version of this. You say moving from gathering data to using data, and that's what you've been talking about. You say it seems a lot of sports teams have done a great job at aggregating all different types of data sources. Most teams have a functioning data warehouse with 10-plus data sources spanning ticket sales, CRM, social feeds, F&B, and more. That's the easy part. And then you reference the Yankees. We have over 3 million people in our database. How do we create custom journeys for each fan? And then later on in your statements, Pete, you told me, you said, we know who buys the ticket, 
and we know a lot about that person, but we lose sight of that person once they forward their ticket or sell it. We need to do a better job of knowing who is actually in the stadium. So is that the X data perspective, Pete? How do you, without getting intrusive on people, how do you find out who they are, what they like, other than how many beers and popcorns they bought? What's the perspective or what's the, the mode, modus operandi for doing this, getting to know your in-stadium person? Yeah, I think a lot of it, um, you know, outside of just their actions, right, is getting that data from surveys, which is, you know, again, without being intrusive, it's, it's what our fans are willing to tell us, right? So it's, it's how can we untangle that? How can we present a survey in a way that allows fans to have their voice heard? Um, that's kind of step one. But you can't just leave it there because you're not going to get great insights from fans if they feel like they're saying something, but you're not reacting to it or you're not acting on it. So um, if we were just collecting all these surveys um, and fans were telling us what they wanted, but we weren't changing any of our practices, you know, I I bet that fans would either A, stop completing the surveys, you know, or probably view us in a different light and maybe a more negative light. But um, I think the fact that we're taking input from fans across all different levels, um, whether it's on um, areas of the stadium, ticket prices, food and beverage, merchandise, whatever it is, um, getting their opinion on those items and then acting and kind of changing our uh, business practices if enough fans are telling us. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the, um, the modus operandi that we've been going for in the last couple of years. Pete, let me ask you, and I'll bring in Ryan and Rob in just a second, but you talked about surveys several times. What are Mm -hmm. these surveys? Are these paper surveys? Are they online surveys? Are they done at the stadium level? Are they done by an email if somebody purchases tickets online? How do you deliver the survey? And are these long surveys, one to three questions, or are they 20-minute, like, census surveys? Or what are they exactly? Yeah, so they're, they're all online. Um, they're done uh, through Qualtrics, which is a fantastic survey tool. Um, you know, and we, it, the length of them varies um, for kind of your uh, post-attendance, post-purchase surveys. Just a, a few questions, a couple minutes. Um, same thing goes for a lot of our surveys that are targeted at um, tourist buyers or international buyers, just because we, we want to understand that consumer base a little better than we already do. Um, and then when it comes to our season ticket holders, uh, they get a little bit of a longer survey uh, that has a lot, a lot more questions, a lot more in-depth on their personal experience just because they are, you know, they're our biggest fans. They're the ones who buy 40 games, 81 games. Um, they buy bigger ticket plans, so, and they come to a lot of games. And, um, you know, part of that relationship is making sure that their voice is heard across every different topic. Interesting. Ryan Summers way in here about this, the idea of surveys where it's up to the customer, the ticket purchaser or somebody who is on that thread to actually answer and then see that that's our, is that our X data? That's our X data, correct, Ryan? Our experience data? Yeah, that's our X data. And and what makes this uh, much more powerful than, um, you know, the term survey that we think of is that, you know, if, if you think of it, this is, this is a, an easy user experience that where they can provide, you know, real-time input based on their feelings um, that automatically embeds into that OData that gives you the full picture. So it's not like, yeah, you, you, you asked if it's like a paper survey. No, these are 
uh, much more sophisticated than that for sure. We almost don't even like to refer to them as surveys because that can be misinterpreted. Um, and I'll give you, I'll give you another example. I'm going to go outside yeah. the box again and yeah, think about uh, New York Fashion Week, which just took place a week or so ago. And what we did to help people kind of conceptualize this transformation of, of data, uh, we worked with our good partners and were previously on the show, Cirque du Soleil. And they said, hey, we want to create a personalized dress. And what, what we did with them was we created this dress that uh, we had some models walking around in. And on her arm was almost like a, a mini uh, tablet. And it had questions that each, each person could answer. And based on their choices, some of the questions were, uh, how are you feeling today? Are you sick? Are you tired? Are you full of energy? Um, and you'd go through a series of different questions. And, and what it did was it took the data through the coding and it created a personalized drink for that person based on how they answered the question. So Ooh. if you were feeling sick, it might give you a cocktail that had some ginger or some turmeric in it. Uh, if you felt stressed or anxious, there might be some lavender inside. And it really let the audience truly see the personalization and, and how this customizes things based on them. So we did it with drinks and we did it with fragrances too. Uh, and it was really, it, it's like a simple way to explain what we're trying to do and how it affects every single person. So you talk about, uh, you know, who buys the ticket, but how do you really know who's in there? This is one of those ways where um, we, can, we can kind of uh, figure those things out. Thank you very much. We're at the crystal ball predictions round. I'm going to go back to Pete and then Ryan and then Rob. But I have to tell you, I found this interesting survey from 2017. Pete, Yankees or Mets survey shows who is overwhelmingly upstate New York's favorite MLB team. And I, we forgot to mention the Yankees are known as the Bronx Bombers. Didn't say that, and I should have. So the poll from Quinnipiac University shows it's the Yankees over the Mets by a wide margin. of those who voted favored the Yankees. Mets only got 14%. I think you're smiling now. And uh, believe Mm -hmm. it or not, um, let's see, there was an, an, uh, the Boston Red Sox got 9% of the vote in upstate New York. That tells you where they're thinking. Are you surprised by those numbers, Pete? Um, I'm not. Those are great numbers to hear. Um, I I love for everyone to hear those. Um, No, but we've done some um, research on who buys our tickets and who comes to our games and, we have about 50% of, of our fans who come to Yankees games in the Bronx are you know, what we would deem tourists, people who are 60 mm-hmm. miles or greater from the stadium. So sure. we have a lot of people who travel from afar to come watch our games. It's exciting. It's iconic. It's part of the New York experience. Okay, Pete Britt, 60 seconds. What do you predict will change about technology and or the Yankees or the Yankees and technology between now and 2025? Anything in the works you could share with us? 60 seconds, your prediction. Mr. Pete Britt, go. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it a little broader than the Yankees and touch uh, more on baseball and really um, kind of professional sports at large. Um, so season tickets have been the bread and butter of professional sports teams since their existence. That's been the biggest revenue driver. That's how people really get the best access to seats, and that's how they show that you're the biggest fan. Um, My crystal ball prediction is that in five to ten years, season tickets as we know them will likely cease to exist. Um, And to kind of uh, make the analogy to television, um, you know, where TV viewers are cutting the cord and um, going a la carte and getting away from cable, 
I think it's going to go along that route with professional sports where the uh, season ticket model becomes more of a membership model, something where you either submit a certain amount of dollars and you get to pick what games you go to, um, but something that's a little more customizable um, than your standard, I have my same seat for every single game of the season. Um, and that would be my prediction. So you're saying you predicted about five years ticket sales will cease to exist, replaced by a subscription model, correct? Uh, season tickets, yeah. I think, I think season, season tickets, tickets will go sales. the way of um, the membership okay. model. Great. Okay. That Season sounds like a project was... we could work together on with some of this experience data. <laughs> I love it. It sure There does. you go. Ryan, Ryan, you're up next, Ryan Summers. What do you predict will happen or change in baseball or, or tech? I'm not sure if a lot of people know this. I know I didn't know it, but apparently the Atlantic League has an agreement with Major League Baseball to test and experiment on some ways that they can change the game. Some of, um, you know, some of the things that included were like shorter times between innings. Uh, one that I thought mm-hmm. was pretty neat was potentially allowing batters to steal first off of wild bitches, and then also uh, radar track strike zones, which I think people have talked about a lot. Um, but baseball is, there are very, there are a ton of, you know, hardcore traditionalists. You know, there's a lot of people that don't want these major changes. I'd say maybe more so than any other sport. So while I think it's ripe for a total digital transformation and all these new things that can um, evolve the game, I think there's still going to be a little bit of a, of a battle between the two, the, the old and the new. So I look to see within the next five or so years some, some minor adjustments, but nothing too groundbreaking. I think baseball is great how it is, and uh, we should respect that. Thank you. There we go. We do respect it. Rob Carter, I've got exactly 60 seconds for you. What's your prediction on the Yankees and technology in the next five years? Go. So I'm taking a slightly different perspective. Uh, The reason being, with the Yankees, you have a very unique product and you have a fanatical fan base. Um, I'm an open Red Sox fan. I had to get another Boston reference in. So I actually think you're going to have a blending of both and it's going to be a moment of, okay, where do we focus, which is the highest revenue generators? And again, that comes back to the O-data. But I think we've seen in other industries um, the, the move to maybe a monthly subscription and within that, you get access to a certain level of certain um, different product. If we think about the razor blade industry, you can now order them on a monthly subscription. Maybe that's something that comes into to baseball, a different pricing model. And then that's going to separate the fans in terms of where they are, how many games they go to, the seats and, and that sort of stuff. So I see the potential for that coming into baseball, maybe in the next three to five years. Thank you very much. We are out of time. I want to thank my three wonderful panelists. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Pete Britt, Ryan Summers, Rob Carter. I want to say thank you to our engineer extraordinaire who tells me we've got 22 seconds left. Got to go. Aaron Keller at Voice America, World Talk Radio, the Business Channel. Thank you. And Ryan Summers, your series rocks. Looking forward to bringing you back for a renewed series in 2020. We will talk. So here we are. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. And here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What in the world are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Pete Britt at the New York Yankees, just like Ryan Summers and Rob Carter at SAP. Have a great one. I'll be back 11 a.m. Eastern tomorrow morning with another episode of my new show, Technology Revolution, the future of now, now, now. (laughs) Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Game Changing Technology and Sports, presented by SAP. The best run SAP. 
Subscribe to Game Changing Technology and Sports on iTunes and catch up on previous episodes. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.